0: Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Bible study. It's good to see everyone tonight. Glad you can make it. I'm pretty excited. I don't know what I'm excited about, but I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I'm. It's. I don't know how to contain it. But it's good to see everybody. So let's uh, start time in prayer. Father, thanks for your Holy Spirit, we thank you that he is here to empower us. He's here to reveal. He's here to teach. I pray that uh, we would find ourselves in a position to hear and to learn and to receive the revelation that he is here to bring. So God, I ask that we would lay aside things that may be crowding our minds and crowding into our space. And I pray, God, that we would be able to Set this time here now aside, and just say, this is the time, God. You speak. You show me, that I pray for your change in my life." So, God, we ask for those things. We ask that you would speak, and we would have ears to hear. That you be glorified. For we ask it in Christ's name, Amen. 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 Uh, you probably need a Bible, so if you have one, or if your particular handheld device has a Bible on it, however you want to do it, but uh, we'll probably need a Bible tonight uh, here at the Bible study. <laughs> Chicago Cubs right there. World Series champs. Oh man, look at you. There you it totally is. It. Got the t-shirt and everything. The, yeah. the tattoo also. Yeah, but I can't show her right now. <laughs> did, you, did you see the guy that got the Indians tattoo? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, he, he jumped the gun when the Indians were up three games to one in the series. And just went ahead and got it over with and got the Indians world champion uh, that, tattoo. That sucks. For 2016. Yeah, oh, Yeah. That's yeah, sad. Yeah. That a joke? That? It wasn't a joke, huh? Somebody you know? No, no, it was on, uh, I saw a picture of the guy. I saw a picture of the tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Had old Chief Wahoo on there and everything. And you have to know, like, 3-1, you got to be thinking, oh, this is, let's just book it. It seems like it's, right. yeah. it's the Cubs. You know they're going to lose. Right, right, right. Yeah, the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Making Bill Murray proud since 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did an interview. Uh, he was all drunk. <laughs> he did some interview on the radio with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 so the Cubs, uh, congratulations to uh, the old Chicagoans. Chicago. Chicago. So they lose their identity now or something? Uh, yeah. It's, the losingest team? Yeah, it's got a, it's, it gets immediately shifted to Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, they're, they're, they're only, what, 50-something years? No, man, yeah. 60, 49, yeah. 68 years. 68 years <laughs> on the schneid. <laughs> is it, is it, like, it next longest now? Yeah. I think. Yeah. So, so were, was your dad excited? My excited doesn't really tell what my family went through. They were very emotional. Emotional? Yeah, my dad's shoulders just slumped. And he said, like, a great weight cap went off of him. <laughs> My yeah. got the shakes. Yeah. My, my grandma stayed up till she didn't go to sleep. She watched every single interview yeah. and said, well, it's already four in the morning. I was going to get up anyway. And she just kept powering through her day. Oh, yeah. My, God. My, wow. my cousin forced his five year old twin boys to stay up till one o'clock to watch it, like, beside yeah. themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I remember how I felt uh, 2004. Mm hmm. Uh, the Red Sox, oh yeah, and uh, it had this, uh, it was kind of an interesting, almost a spiritual experience uh, when your team finally wins. And after all that time. It's yeah, been so long. yeah, because uh, in 86 they should have, well they would have won, they were mm-hmm. like one out away or whatever, yeah. and uh, didn't win, The uh, first <laughs> baseman didn't feel the grounder, went right yeah. through his legs, and they lost the series. Uh, but, regardless of that, they, they did end up winning, and it was almost like a, a weird spiritual experience that uh, I, I had a lot of, um, I don't say hatred, it wasn't hatred, it was just kind of a, you know, dislike for the Yankees. Right. Uh, just because of all the years of just having to put up with all of the the listening to it and hearing all about it and all this other stuff, and it was like... As soon as they won that, man, it was like just all that just lifted. Right. You know? And uh, and so I don't know. I've never, it's just never bothered me since. Right. Yeah. You because know? now you're champions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to be at the Buffalo Bills four times when the Super Bowl. I said, I'm done watching them. I'm going to go back to San Francisco. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Four times. That's a tough one. That was. Long time ago now, too. So, um, yeah, congratulations. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7, and verses 5 and 6. If you want any background to this, uh, what he is describing here, you can find in Acts chapter 20. If you want to look in there while we're going through the study and get a little more narrative on it. But 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 and 6. Would someone like to read that? For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, and conflicts on the outside fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. By the coming Alright. Thanks for reading that. Uh, first thing I, I want you to think about with these verses and really let I me mean really just let it sink in a little bit was this is Paul the Apostle. And whatever your view is of him, I don't know what it is, I don't know how you feel about him or if you have any view of him whatsoever. He, he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament uh, over half the New Testament. And he opened up the gospel to the Gentiles. He uh, was a major player in the early church as far as planting churches and raising up leadership in the early church. But I want you to hear what he says here. There's two things about this I want you to kind of grab hold of. The first thing is I want you to grab hold of the circumstances he describes. I want you to grab hold of what he's going through, grab hold of the way he describes it, and the people that are with him. And I want you to really think to yourself, do you ever think about the Apostle Paul having those kind of problems? And I know we, we look at, at him and we look at things he went through and he, he does describe his ministry, he describes some of the things that he had to go through about being shipwrecked and about being beaten with rods, about being uh, uh, having to face lashings and all these other things. But do we really think about him in, in these kind of circumstances? These kind of afflictions, these kinds of feelings, these kinds of things that were bothering him both physically and emotionally and spiritually. That he was going through conflict here and these types of things were happening in his life. So I want you to think about that. The second thing I want you to think about is him describing this to the people he ministers to. I want you to think about the honesty that he's laying out here to the people that he's being called to minister to. And I want you to consider how difficult it would be for someone in leadership in most churches to lay out this kind of a circumstance to the people that they're called to. I want you to think about that. We kind of touched on this in the last couple of weeks, when we talk about how we look at people who are leaders, how we look at people that are in charge of our ministry, in charge of our lives, a couple weeks ago I talked about that, and I talked about not being the kind of people that we judge the people over us. Or not holding them to some weird standard that we can't live up to. But now I want you to think about when when a person like the Apostle Paul begins to describe his circumstances And a lot of the way he describes his circumstances you can relate to. You can relate to anxiety or you can relate that you're you're being afflicted or that someone is opposing you or there's fightings on the outside and there's fear on the inside about having those kind of emotions yourself and facing those kind of things yourself. And those were things that the Apostle Paul was facing, but not only was he facing them, he was willing to tell people about it. He's willing to tell the church about it. And keep in mind, the Corinthian church was not a church that he was necessarily getting along with at the time when he was writing this letter because if you think about it he had just written a letter if you ever read 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians is full of a bunch of correction isn't it Mm -hmm. it's looking at the church it's looking at the church at Corinth and saying you guys are super spiritual and that's awesome but you've got all these problems going on you've got all these issues happening in your church and you need to correct these things and he laid out all of these corrections that need to take place in the church and so We can't look at that and think to ourselves, all right, well, they must be on great terms. We don't know if they're on great terms. In fact, the the chances are he didn't know if they were on great terms. It wasn't like they were texting back and forth or making phone calls back and forth. They couldn't even get letters back and forth with any regularity. So he would send a letter and not hear anything. It could be years before he heard anything. So understand that he's writing this and he's he's there in Macedonia and he's describing his circumstances, he's describing his people to the very people that may not even like him at that moment. Who knows? The very people that may have followed after false teachers. He didn't know. The very people that may have decided that they didn't want to hear what he had to say and wanted to hear what somebody else had to say. And weren't listening to him at all. But he wasn't afraid to tell him how he really felt. And there's something really powerful about that. Before we even look into the text, before we even look into what he's actually saying there, I just want you to get how powerful the statement is. The fact that he was willing to do that. The fact that he was willing to to bear himself to these people who, who may or may not be his friends. Who may or may not even care about him, but just telling him the truth about where he's at and about what's going on in his life. And I want you to really take a look, at, a hard look at how you see people in leadership. How the Apostle Paul, was he not in leadership? Of course he was. He has fear on the inside. He has fightings on the outside. He's exceedingly distressed and agitated with no rest and something like a storm going on all around him. If there is any part of you that thinks to yourself, well, brother, you shouldn't be living like that. Kill it now, please. Just kill it. There's any part of you that looks at that and says, well, he's an apostle, he's a leader, he's, he's somebody that's in charge. He shouldn't be facing those kind of things. He should have it all together. Kill that in you, if you can, please. Just kill it. Because if the Apostle Paul thought enough to tell him how it was really going, and he tells the church how it's really going, what's he looking for there? People that judge him? Or is he looking for people there maybe pray for him? Are people there to would be willing to help him? Are people there that would be, have an understanding ear toward him? And toward what he was going through and toward the affliction that he was facing and the things that he was feeling and the fear that he had on the inside? What's the last thing you need if you're living in fear and you're living in distress and you're living all agitated with stuff going on all around you and you're just overwhelmed? What's the last thing you need? Somebody just stand up and judging you? Probably. Probably. Just pile it on, man. So let's look at what he has to say. He starts off and he he talks about they're heading into Macedonia and he's talking about what happened and he's recounting it. And here's how he's recounting it. And I want you to think, okay, this is the honest truth. And uh, some of you have have read my journals when I travel overseas. Some of you haven't. Uh, Some of them are down in the library. They've been transcribed or whatever. But my journals, uh, and the way I try to write them, is what works, what doesn't work. What's really going on. This was awesome. This was terrible. Terrible. And I'll write in the note, don't do that again. (laughs) (laughs) All right? Because how else are you going to know? How else are you going to do that? And that's the great thing about the Bible is that it gives you both, right? That was great. That was awful. That was terrible. That worked out awesomely. Yeah. So, so here we have something. Paul, he's there. So he's talking about being afflicted. As I just read to you, the, the word means to be exceedingly distressed and agitated. Agitated. Anybody ever get agitated? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah no rest no rest and and the descriptor is like storms everywhere just storms all around so this is how he starts us off This this is our lead in our lead in to Macedonia right here exceedingly distressed and agitated that's Paul and that's the guys with him they're exceedingly distressed and agitated now what does that sound like Everybody's walking around all peaceful and everything. Yes, brother, come along. (laughs) No, No, that's not how I'm agitated. Throwing flower petals at your feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, yeah. How are you agitated? That's not how I'm agitated. When I get agitated, I just I'm agitated. All right. I'm not even going to describe what happens. This is bad. (laughs) If you know me long enough, you'll see me agitated plenty of times. Just happens. And so they were agitated with no rest. In other words, physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever you want to think, no rest. No rest. It's like a storm just going on all around them. And he talks about at every turn. It's just they're afflicted at every turn in every way. No rest, no relief. Obligated. Obligated. To do things that they didn't want to do. Alright, now you can't just read that and get that out of it, but that's what that means. That's how they were feeling. That they were in every way, no rest, no relief, and being obligated to do things that they didn't want to do. That's frustrating. That is really, really frustrating. And I think all of us have been there before. I think all of us have been at that place or those places in our lives where we're doing something and it just seems like one thing after another. It seems like there's nowhere just to sit down and just relax and just to rest and just to take it easy. And we end up doing things that we really don't feel like we want to do, but we feel obligated to do them, so we go and we do them anyway. That is aggravating. That is aggravating. And the thing that you fight, what's the thing you fight when you, have, when you feel like you're being obligated to do stuff that you don't want to do? What are you fighting there? I know what I'm fighting. Huh? Rebellion. Rebellion. All right, but what's a, I, the, the first thing I thought of, that's, that's an unfair question, I guess, because it was in my head what I thought of. What I fight when I'm in those situations where I feel like I'm obligated to do something I don't want to do, but I'm doing it anyway I am fighting three-year-old Andy. That's who I'm fighting. The little kid in me. That little selfish, rebellious kid in me that just wants to do what I want to do and not do that, and I just can't stand it. And and so I gotta fight that so I gotta get doing what I gotta do for what I'm obligated for. You know what helps break three-year-old you? I'll tell you a little secret that'll help break that in you? Kids. Kids help break that in you because they do things at inconvenient times. Like get sick, (laughs) like throw up, or fall out of bed and cry, or whatever it is that happens. It's at inconvenient times, inconvenient places, inconvenient circumstances, and three-year-olds, wherever you are, is going to get beat up because you got kids. And that's a good thing. Because a little three-year-old, whoever you are, needs to get beat up and needs to just quiet down. Because there are things in life that are going to be out of your time frame. They're going to be out of your schedule. They're going to be out of what you had planned. They're going to be outside of what you want to do. And it's just going to happen. Now, I'm not saying it happens all the time. I'm just saying it does happen. And you know what we find out here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7? That even the Apostle Paul gets agitated with that. Alright? Like maybe there was a little three-year-old Apostle Paul that was kicking and screaming a little bit heading into Macedonia. I have no idea. Alright, I don't know. But I do know that there were certain things going on that were causing mental and physical anguish for him and for his team whatever those things were I have no idea what they were but they were causing agitation they were causing uh, the feeling of of being distressed no relief all that was going on and he does mention that he's tired in body that's what he says I'm tired in body and that's not really too surprising you know how they traveled then right But, but you know how they were traveling right I mean it's one thing to travel across the desert in a plane you know, it's another thing to travel across a desert in a truck or a bus. It's another thing to travel across a desert on an animal of some smelly kind. <laughs> and it's another thing to cross the, be traveling by foot. Right? So, so they're tired. I don't, I'm not surprised they're tired. I'm not surprised they're tired in, in body. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. But they also were implied in that is that they were fatigued and full of anxiety. Now if you struggle with anxiety, you know what I'm talking about. Some of us struggle more with anxiety than others. But all of us can probably think of times that we've been full of anxiety. Where that's just really welled up in us and we've been anxious. It's a natural human reaction to certain things. Fear is in us to help us in certain circumstances to save our lives. In other circumstances, it's no good for us because it hinders us from doing something we're supposed to do. But there are times where anxiety or fear will well up in us. And we feel it. We know what that is. I don't think I need to explain that. Let's draw a little bit of a contrast and comparison. Second Corinthians chapter two and verse thirteen. And still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. All right so here at the beginning of 2 second Corinthians he, Titus comes up again and he says because he couldn't find Titus he, he said he was fatigued tired had no peace of mind or spirit depending on what version of the Bible you have literally it means he had no peace of spirit he had no uh, rest in his spirit what's that? So he got a lot going on in his mind so, so he starts off the journey toward Macedonia without real rest in his spirit. He gets to Macedonia, he's entering in, and he has no rest in his body either. Again, how many of you think of him this way? I mean, this was in here the whole time. I mean, as long as you've had a Bible, it's been in here. <laughs> All right, I'm not, I'm not pulling this out of some secret compartment or anything. This, this is there. And I think sometimes in our, in our efforts to understand... God and understand how he works and what he has for us then we overlook some of the very human aspects of what it is to serve him and I, and I think some of that has to do with the teachers that we've had that have taught us the, the really neat spiritual stuff, the really uh, high understanding spiritual stuff which is important too and I totally agree with that but there are some really basic human things that we need to get a hold of and that it's okay to be human it's okay to struggle with things it's okay to face some of these things because the real issue isn't whether or not we're going to face these things because we are the real issue isn't whether or not we're going to experience these things because we are going to experience these things but what it comes down to and what i hope i can get across to you tonight is that is what we do with that because if you just go to hide it so that you can look tough or you can look like you have it together, or you can look like that you're a spiritual person and you got it made and you know what you're doing and all that, you're missing a golden opportunity to actually get some help. Because it's in these moments when we're just honest about where we're at, it's in these moments where we're just honest about what's going on in us and what's happening in us, it's in those moments that we can get true healing, we can get relief, we can get deliverance, we can get what God has for us, what He wants to pour into our lives, if we just don't cover it up, and we don't lie about it. See, the lying about it, the covering up about it, that's what keeps it on the inside, that's what keeps it in us. That's what keeps us from getting free of it. And before we we can really get free of some of this stuff, we can really get free of some of the things that God would have us get free from, we're going to have to be honest about it, especially in the moment. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's happening in my life. It says there's fightings on the outside, and and you uh, know I read about like what they're talking about here. He's talking about well, he had opposition, but his main opposition. His main opposition, and if you look at his, his ministry and you look at what caused his opposition, it, most of the time it had to do with who he would consider to be believers. All right, The people that he was going into the synagogues to speak to, the people he was going into the towns to, to talk to, they're the ones that caused him a ton of problems. And they may have stirred up the local governments and the local people in the town, and then the local governments and local people had a fit on them, but if you go right back to the source of it, what's the stirring? Where'd that come from? It's the religious people. He had a hard time with religious people. And he was a super religious person. Prior to his conversion, he was the religious of the religious He had been trained by one of the most famous teachers, one of the most famous rabbis in that part, in in the known world. He had been trained by him. He had the credentials. He had the, the family line. He had what it took. He was one of them. And yet as he would travel and after his conversion, you see a change taking place. And although he got some respect in some circles and none in others, a lot of trouble came his way. Because the religious leaders stirred it up. I mean, what was Jesus' main trouble? The Romans? Not really. It was the religious leaders that stirred it up against him. That was his main trouble. I mean, we want to we'll blame the Romans, we'll blame them. All right, that's fine. But who stirred that up? So Paul facing dangers opposition, all that was going on from religious people, heathens, whoever. And then he makes this statement, he says, fear on the inside, describing himself. And that's a powerful statement, because he didn't have to admit to that, did he? He didn't have to say that. He could say, yeah, I mean, people are opposing us. I mean, well, that, that's a matter of record. He'd been beaten with rods. It was a matter of record that he'd been flogged. It's a matter of record that he'd been stoned. It was a matter of record that he'd been in shipwrecks. Everybody knew that. So him admitting that I don't think is a big deal. But when he says that he has fear on the inside, that's a powerful statement to me. That's a more powerful statement because he's admitting something he's telling the church something that they didn't, they didn't have to know and so you have to think about why is he telling him them this well number one he feels it number two he may be looking for somebody to pray for him for some kind of help and number three there is some benefit to him for doing it some freedom some liberty that's taking place in his life and number four there's some benefit for the people that hear it because they realize That there's a guy that they respect, possibly, that they listen to, and he has these issues and he has these fears, so do we. And so we're all in this together. There's a benefit to them hearing it too. So you see a bunch of benefit from him saying it. What's the only thing fed if he just keeps it to himself? His own pride. His own pride. That's what gets fed. I'm going to keep this to myself. You know, they'll never know. You're correct? Probably not. It's probably true that they would never know that. It's probably true that no one would ever be the wiser to that happening. And and yet he chooses to tell them. And he wasn't. He didn't have any. Hopefully, there was no pride to feed. Now, I know I said this a bunch of times and I, I just went over this with, at the intern meeting today and I, I do it all the time and I, I reinforce this but pride is the sin of the devil <clears throat> I can't emphasize that enough that's his sin and he, he tempted Adam and Eve to do whatever they were going to do to, to go after the knowledge of good and evil which they did and obtain knowledge of good and evil. But, but I want you to understand that the sin of the devil is pride. And so as we allow that to exist in our lives, we are giving opportunity, giving door, giving a latch hold, giving footing to the devil. Because that is his thing. It brought him to destruction... And will ultimately bring him to ultimate destruction. How can we not believe that it will destroy our own lives? And yet I don't know that we really take it that seriously. Maybe we do. But when it crops up in a situation like this. Where we would rather live in our pride than actually get free what kind of choice is that what kind of choice is that because there's people that we can talk to, there's people that we can share our lives with, there's people that we can pray with and get free rather than just live in our sin of the devil and agree with him and I I want you to see that there's nothing good gonna come out of that Nothing. Never. Never. And I know the world rewards it. And I know that we're told that we need to have it. And I know that people expect it and all the rest of that kind of stuff, but is it worth it? And these are the kind of things that I think we really need to weigh it out. It's like, well, this is how much it's going to cost me. What's it going to cost me? Everything. For what? Something that's not going to matter anyway. So fear on the inside. Now, I don't know if you remember his letter to the Corinthians, but somebody turned to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. He's getting it going right in chapter 4 there, or 1 Corinthians. He starts it going on, and he, he's telling them, he's like, you know. You might have 10,000 instructors. Just go down the chapter a little bit. You might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you only have one father. And, and he's talking about these false teachers, and he says they love to hear themselves talk. They will tell you whatever you want to hear. All the rest of this kind of stuff. But you get down to 1 Corinthians 4.20, and it, it tells you a little something this Paul talking he says for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk and he's talking about these teachers whoever they were but the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but it's a matter of power and, and what he's recognizing in that verse and what he's telling them he's telling them is that these guys may be great talkers these guys might be awesome teachers these guys may have the, the insight or whatever it is He said, but you only have one father and I think Paul was, in a way, recognizing the fact that he probably wasn't the greatest speaker in the world. You know, he, his preaching killed somebody, right? I mean, that's bad preaching when you kill somebody, but you preach it. Now, if you remember the story, the kid fell out a window. He fell asleep listening to Paul preaching, fell out a window, died, had to be raised from the dead. that's some hard preaching right there I mean that's that's hard times I mean people fall asleep all the time but you know you know falling out a window Bad that, idea. that's tough man that's tough that's what happens and so he's recognized he's not that probably not the best of teachers and preachers and stuff but he's like that's not the point the point is is that I came to you in power you saw the power of God through my ministry you saw the power of God through the things that I was saying things that I was doing you have experienced the power of God through the ministry of Paul that's what he's telling him. he's like when I come back am I going to come back in peace and he kind of threatens him here come back in peace or am I going to come back with a whip Alright, so 2nd Corinthians, he's coming back. (laughs) He's coming back. Fear on the inside. What's going to be waiting for him in Corinth when he gets there? After that letter. He's going to need to take out the whip? I don't know, he doesn't know. What's he going to face? People going to listen to him or they not going to listen to him? Are they... Things are going to be worse or things are going to be better? I mean, he ditched out some harsh discipline. Are the false teachers going to still be there or they be gone? Who's, what's going to happen? What's it going to be? So, all that's going on. That's the descriptor of what's going on. Does that sound fun? No. Does that sound... Uh, Necessarily super spiritual to you? Or is that a bad question? That's probably a bad question. Alright? But by most people's definition of super spiritual, that ain't it. Alright? It's probably a bad definition, though. Because the real issue isn't all these things happening, the real issue isn't what's going on. And he's feeling anxiety or he's got fear in his heart or fear on the inside or whatever's going on with him. That's those are the real issues. What does he do with it? What's he going to do with it? The first thing he does is he just says it like it is. So there's something positive that you can get out of this right now. Just be honest. The second thing he says, and he describes it, he says, "God comforts the downcast. Comforts. What's the difference? Think of, just think about this for a second. What, what do you think the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow is? Like, what, what would, how would you, how would you draw a difference between those two things? Godly sorrow cares about. Other's worldly sorrow cares about some. Mm. Okay, I can go with that for a little bit. That's not saying we don't care about ourselves, though. I think you're you're saying that maybe there's a different focus, different focus, yes. a different uh, major mm-hmm. per se on what you're majoring on, what you're looking at all the time. Mm-hmm. If you look at yourself long enough, you're gonna find something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, That's why I don't believe in mirrors. Um, No, I do. I I look in the mirror. I don't stare in the mirror, though. (laughs) But I do look in the mirror. But I think there's something about having an outward focus, though, that really helps us to live happier lives. I really believe that. So what else? Godly sorrow. If you have worldly sorrow, where do you go with that? What's the recourse? Doctor. The doctor. What does the doctor do? Uh, drug. What's the recourse? Yeah, it's a, it's a masking it. It's uh, something, something like that. Okay. And, and I'm not, not always. I mean, some doctors. I mean, you can sit there and you can talk to them. They give you therapy or whatever it is like that. You can go to a counselor. <laughs> I mean, there's there's recourse for it, but if you talk to most counselors, and I I worked as a I was a professional counselor for a number of years, and you talk to people who are counselors, if you really honestly ask them how many people you're really helping, not that many. All right, the fact of the matter is that you can get people to talk and get people to to self-discover, you can get people to think through some of their issues, you can get people to talk through some of their issues, but when it comes right down to it, and you see them three years later, not much has changed. And that's really frustrating. I found counseling to be very frustrating. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, you weren't a very good counselor, were you? (laughs) Well, maybe I wasn't, I don't know. (laughs) Because I had a lot better expectation than that going into it. That's a fact. A lot better expectation than that. And worldly sorrow, even if somebody seeks help, that you know, that's just where they're heading for it. But, but what's the recourse of it? I mean, it's really hard. People medicate, people self-medicate, people regret, people do whatever they're going to do, and they try to live with it, they try to figure out ways to deal with it or whatever it is, but when it comes down to it, it doesn't really go that far. It doesn't really go anywhere. Godly sorrow has a recourse. And that's something that I find really refreshing in my life that, that as I'm sorrowful and, and I'm in the context of my relationship with God, in the context of my relationship with Christ, that there is recourse. The Bible says if you confess your sins, which means that you'd probably be sorry, Okay. He is faithful, He is just, He will forgive us, He will cleanse us. Now you notice our part in that was godly sorrow and then everything else he does. See the recourse is his. The recourse comes from, is authored by, and is empowered by him. And that's the point I'm trying to make with this, that our point in this and our place in this is honestly looking at who we are, honestly looking at where we're at, honestly looking at what's going on around us, not trying to pretend it's something it's not, not trying to pretend we're something we're not, not living in fear of what people think or living in fear of being judged, but coming to a place in our life where it just doesn't matter anymore. We want something different now. Now. I don't want to live like this anymore. And we find things and we see things and God shows us things and honestly, we look at it. There is recourse in that. If it's a matter of sin, it's a matter of sin. If it's a matter of us going to God and casting our cares upon Him because He cares for us, then we cast our cares upon Him. But the fact of the matter is is that the recourse comes from Him because He cares for us. All of those things that, that we look for in our life, all of those things that the world is clamoring after that the comfort and, 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 the, and the hope and all the rest of that, we have that. not because we're manufacturing, not because we can even do it, but because God loves us. He cares and He provides the recourse for us. And so what we see that instead of hopelessness and discouragement, In desperation, God comforts us. God comforts the downcast, the discouraged, and the hopeless. And to be discouraged means to be deprived of courage, hope, and confidence. When you're just deprived of courage, you don't want to do anything, do you? Everything seems like such a major problem. Such a major deal. And after I I, I had a pretty serious illness, uh, where I was in the hospital for three weeks, and I was on home care for a bunch of weeks after that, and I had to wear a backpack with a, uh, with a thing that pumps stuff into my veins, and... I was really sick, and afterwards I started going to the YMCA to uh, rehab. and I can remember just how discouraging it was because you know I had been a, somewhat of an athlete most of my life and had been fairly strong and, and I was going to the YMCA and I couldn't even do basic things. And I was just I had trouble walking, I had trouble moving my arms and it was just really super discouraging to the point that if I would show up and I used to start the day with it, it was like a stretching class, and I would go and if I showed up like two minutes late and the class was already started, I'd just turn around and go home. Cause I was, I won't say I was afraid to go in, but maybe it was, I don't know. But I always think of that when I think of discouragement getting robbed of your courage for what even the simplest dumbest of things because that class of soccer moms on their big balls you know like the big stretch balls and stuff they didn't care if I went in late alright I know that they didn't care but I couldn't do it and and I I want to say that because there, there's a lot of things in life to one degree or another when we start getting robbed of our courage or we start getting robbed of our hope or our confidence then things that were easy for us before all of a sudden become hard and that's a job for God's comfort in us and we need to recognize it as such we need to recognize those moments, those times, as times when we need to call on God's comfort for our life, and and receive that comfort into our life. I want to look at I want to look at a few verses as we close up today, and and I, I really want some of this to sink into your heart, sink into your spirit. So uh, we're gonna. There's five verses five verses. So I'll need a volunteer for each verse to read. So as I read off the verse, take note of what it is. And if you would like to read it, I would like to encourage you to raise your hand. This sounds really organized, doesn't it? Isn't that awesome? Patrick loved that. Every really second did. of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew you loved that. Alright, so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Tim... Matthew 5, 1, and I'll have you read a few more verses after that. But you've got to be flexible for this one. Okay, Krista. Okay, Psalm 119. Uh, I can't even read my own writing. Psalm 119, try verse 76 and verse 50. They might be right. I don't know. I can't even read it. Psalm 23, 4. Pete. In Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 and 2. Howie. Alright, 1 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Did you say 2 Corinthians? I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Alright, do you see a progression with that? That verse right there is a powerful verse. It's a God of all compassion. In other words, you can be sure He cares about you. You can be sure of that. You can be sure He loves you, and you can be sure that He cares about you. And the second part of that, where does comfort start? With who? God. With Him. And who's he willing to give that to based on his compassion and his love? Me. And so then I get comforted. And so then what can I do with that comfort? Give it to somebody else. Give it to somebody And comfort someone else. But see how it progresses? You don't manufacture comfort out of nowhere. Alright? You can't make yourself. And we do try to comfort ourselves, don't we? (laughs) What's the way we try to comfort ourselves? Come on now. Food. food. Yeah, boy. Yeah. There's whole there, there's whole categories of food called comfort, comfort food. food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So how else do you comfort yourself? Give me another one. TV. Alright, alright. Mindless activities like television. How else do you comfort yourself? There's another one. Sleep. Sleepy, sleepy. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) All right. Yeah, well, comfort doesn't originate with you. That's why none of those things are really super healthy (laughs) that I just mentioned. (laughs) Our attempts. Our attempts to do something that God wants to do in our lives ends up with eating... Eating ice cream in front of the TV, wrapped in a snuggie while we're napping. (laughs) That's the best we can do, right there. That's it. We've done it. Well, the fact is that comfort starts with God. And He loves you so much, and He has so much compassion on you, He pours out that comfort. He gives you comfort. He comforts you. And then once you're comforted, You can give that to other people. Now, what does that what does that say? It implies. What does that imply? Is that we need comforting, doesn't it? That this is what I've been talking about tonight. This is who we are. This is what happens. This is real life. Okay? And because this is real life, we need comforting. And so we have a God, a loving God, who comforts us. So that we can, after we receive comfort, comfort others Matthew 5, 1 Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him Keep going And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they shall be satisfied alright now listen to everything he said there blessed are the remember what you see what he says there blessed are the hungry and the thirsty blessed are those that mourn blessed are, are the meek I mean all those things he names off are those necessarily your top notch feelings for the day no Are you in the best mood when you're hungry and thirsty? No, no. No. So, so I mean, you know, you've seen the Snickers commercials, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, he's not even—he's not naming off the best of circumstances there, and yet he's saying you're blessed. Why? Because God has an answer. God has the. Solution. And not one of those things he mentions to them were they coming up with themselves. Not one of those. It all had to do with what God was pouring out, the God of love and the God of compassion was pouring out into their lives. That's what it had to do with. I think sometimes we just need to stop trying to do it ourselves long enough to receive the real McCoy, the real thing. That God wants to do. And that may require us to stop. To put the chicken nuggets down. To put that bag of chips back. To 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 throw off the snuggie. To turn off the television. It may it may require that for us to really receive what, what God has for us instead. Hey, Psalm 119. Try 76 or 50? What you got over there? 76. What does that say? May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise. It you. <laughs> was the right one. All right. Yes. Can you look up 50 also? So his unfailing love may it be our comfort. Yeah. What about 50? Comfort is my suffering and this <laughs> <purefulness> <laughs> preserves my life. Alright. Alright. Yeah. You can read my own handwriting. Thank you for reading those. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. Yeah. You almost you couldn't you couldn't almost couldn't get past the King James, could you, right then? <laughs> <laughs> <Sure. laughs> Yeah, I know. Yay, Lord. Hey, Lord Walk to the Valley. Mm. And I'm sure you've heard teachings I'm sure you've heard teachings on the twenty third Psalm, at least maybe you have. If not, man, I'll I can plagiarize one for you sometime, no problem. But lots of teachings on what the rod and staff what they represent. Uh, the protection and the discipline and the the love that they represent in our lives, and him saying that that comforts him. All right, uh, Isaiah forty verses one and two. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. I like that verse because it repeats the word twice. Comfort, comfort. And and reading that and understanding the context of it, we have a loving God. We have a God that cares for us, it loves us, that wants the best for us. Uh, we need to agree with him on that. Just agree with him. You got somebody saying he loves you. You just going to keep arguing with him about it? You got someone that's proven his love for you by giving his life. No greater love can be even shown to you, Ever. Than what he's already shown to you. And he's telling you he loves you. He's shown you that he loves you. Are you Are going to keep arguing with him about it? Or let's agree with him. Let's just agree with him. That he loves us. And let's receive the comfort that he wants to give. This isn't a time. We don't live in an age, I don't think, where just pretending is super important to us anymore i think we live in a good time where we can just be who we are and if it's a good day it's a good day if it's not a good day it's not a good day if we're struggling we're struggling if we're doing great we're doing great if we are uh... fighting depression through circumstance whatever's going on around us if we're disappointed if we're anxious uh, that's the way it is but there is recourse there's recourse for that his name is Jesus and he loves you and he has comfort for you but being honest about it and going to him and recognizing that love that's a great start and let him do what he does best let him love you, let him comfort you let him meet you right exactly where you are, because you know, God met Paul somewhere there in second Corinthians 7, 8, 9, 10, somewhere. He is there, all right? And those circumstances passed, and those times changed, but the God of all comfort was in the midst of that helping him. And that's a good takeaway for us. All right? Let's take a few moments and pray. Father, I just want to say thanks for the love that you have shown. You've demonstrated it. And so in that demonstration, we want to just agree with you that you love us. You tell us you love us, and we want to agree with you that you love us. We don't want to fight you about it we don't want to argue with you about it we don't want to pretend it's not true we don't want to look somewhere else to try to replace it we just want to take hold of and agree with you in your love that you have for us tonight and in that love i just want to say thanks for the comfort that you bring into our lives because we come here tonight bruised we come here tonight disappointed we come here tonight, some of us with fear in our hearts, anxiety. Some of us are worried about something going on tomorrow or the next day or something that's going on tonight. Some of us, are, our thoughts are preoccupied and, and we're, we're distracted one way or another. All these things are going on. Some of us are afflicted physically. Some of us are afflicted emotionally. Some of us are afflicted spiritually tonight. It's all going on. And yet we have recourse in you, because you are a God of all comfort. And so God, I pray that you would pour out your comfort onto your people. Pour out your comfort onto your children tonight. Pour out your comfort, God, into our lives. We just receive of you. And that comfort and peace, that comfort and joy, that comfort and forgiveness, that comfort and hope, that comfort and vision, that comfort and reassurance tonight, however, that comfort is going to manifest in our life, God, I just give you thanks for it. We receive of you, Jesus. For we ask it in your powerful, powerful name. Let's agree by saying, Amen. 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 Now,